in that song, we were praying and asking the Holy Spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds as we prepare to hear, meditate, and learn from God's Word this morning, which comes to us from the letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 15. We'll be focusing on verses 14 to 15 as we make our way through the letter of Ephesians. We find ourselves here in this passage, and we're kind of pausing and taking a close look at it. And here, as a way of introduction, at the close of this letter, the Apostle Paul does not want us to think that the Christian life is a walk in the park. No, as we saw last week, we are in the middle of a perilous spiritual war against the devil himself. And that's why the Apostle Paul calls us to stand firm. And we considered how we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil And it is not in our own strength, but in the mighty power of God. And that is clothed in the full armor of God that he gives us. And what are the pieces of that armor that he has given us, and how do they benefit us? Well, with those questions before us, let's give our attention now to the reading of God's holy word. And we'll start in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you might be thinking, Pastor is going rather slowly through this section of the letter, pausing here to just consider two verses. Well, if that's the case, if that's what you're thinking this morning, consider this. The great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, preached a total of 68 sermons on these 10 verses in Ephesians chapter 6. So that means that his congregation camped out in these few verses as their pastor preached to them for a year and two months showing them all of the terrain and flowers and gold that are hidden within these passage this pasture of truth these verses here and so considering that considering all the time that he spent in this passage here maybe a few weeks is not long enough maybe we should stay here a bit longer till the end of the year perhaps but Alas, we only have three sermons in this passage, in this portion of Scripture, on the subject of God's armor, and this is the second. And so, don't lose hope. We are making our way through this, and we have a lot here to consider. Well, as we look at this passage, commentators have noticed that the armor of God and the articles or the pieces that he describes here can be divided into two sections. The first three pieces of armor that Paul mentions are things that a Roman soldier in antiquity would have fixed upon themselves or fastened upon his body in a fixed position. 
So a belt, right? A breastplate and sandal boots. Now the second set of three that the Apostle Paul will mention, they are more loosely held in place, right? A shield held by the hand and then also a helmet upon the head, kind of loosely fitted there, and then a sword in the other hand. And so today we'll be examining those first three those pieces of God's armor that the Holy Spirit is calling us to fasten upon our hearts. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the sandal boots of readiness. And those will be our three main points this morning. So first, we'll consider the belt of truth. I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he was in prison. And so when he described this armor of God and the different pieces of the armor, he was probably able to look up from his writing and see the Roman soldiers dressed in all of their armor. And he was able to see them, those who guarded him, and able to examine up close and personal all the different pieces of that armor and how it worked, even as he's thinking about the armor that God gives us in Christ by faith. And so the first piece that Paul mentions that he calls our attention to, is the belt of truth. And what Paul literally says in the Greek is this, gird up your loins with truth. It's an old expression, but it's important to try and visualize in our mind what Paul is talking about here. We all know that belts, even today, the belts that we have on our waist, belts are used to hold things up and together. And this was especially the case in antiquity because they didn't wear, they didn't have shorts or pants. And so everyone wore these tunics or long cloaks that were long and loose and flowing garments about their legs, right? And so naturally, if you're a soldier in battle and you need to have, uh, be quick on your feet and run about, well, loose garments uh, around your legs would be a hindrance. It would encumber you uh, in your mobility. And so when getting ready for action, the Roman soldiers would take their tunic and kind of pull it up and then bind it into their leather belt about them, right? And so they gird up their loins to prepare for action, in a sense kind of making a makeshift uh, shorts uh, with their tunic in order to be free, in order to be agile, nimble, not encumbered by clothes that are flapping about. And so this belt was foundational for the soldier in his armor. And it's the right place to start as well, because think of it in this way. If you have all the other parts of the armor that Paul mentions here, but if you have not girded up your loins in that sense with your belt, well, what's going to happen in battle? You're going to trip and fall all over yourself. And since he says, is the belt of truth, we know that Paul is not talking about literally girding up your garments. No, he's talking about girding up your mind with the truth. Gird up the loins of your mind is what he's saying. And here, Paul, he refers to the whole summation of all that is true. The full truth about God, the full truth about his world, and the full truth about who you are in Christ. And we consider, right, how truth Remarkably, Paul says elsewhere in Colossians that all of truth is held together in the person of Christ. Colossians 1.17, Paul says, He is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. And so, that truth, the same truth that holds all things together in the cosmos, in the universe, that truth is also the same truth that must hold you together, O Christian, to hold you up in order to keep your mind sharp and together, to have your wits about you in the spiritual battle. Now, what happens if a Christian has not girded up their mind in the truth? Well, if you're not wearing the belt of truth, well, your thinking, your thoughts, will be loose and sporadic all over the place. Undisciplined thinking, well, will lead you to trip up on lies and deception and empty promises in life. If you're not fastened up with the truth and more of it, you will not be prepared to outmaneuver the jabs and punches that life will send you. In fact, if you've watched any boxing fights lately, right, you know that boxers, they wear these shorts that are really high and they have a big belt around their waist, right? And why, why is that? Well, one important reason, one reason, not the only reason, but one reason is to boost their mobility, make them agile. Baggy shorts in a boxing ring would restrict their leg movement and if you can't move quick on your feet in the ring, well, you're just going to be a punching bag for your opponent, right? And so if you, Christian, aren't wearing the belt of truth tight and held up high upon you, well, you will be like a punching bag for lies and deception and trickery in life. And sadly, sadly, many Christians are unequipped with truth. They are content with loose thinking and being tossed to and fro by every wave of doctrine. And this is dangerous for the stability of a Christian. It's hard to stand firm against the world's assaults against your faith, which are many and fierce, right? It's hard to stand firm when your mind is not girded up with truth. Now, by comparison, those Christians who have learned to wear this belt of truth high and tight upon them, well, they are those who in conversation or in debate are able to move like a butterfly and sting like a bee, right? They know how the Bible is. They know its different parts. They know their way around the stories and the passages of the Bible and all of its doctrine. They are those who wear this belt and have a deep understanding of how all truth fits together and comes together in Christ. All truth in God's world. Whether that's truth in science, truth in history, in math, logic, literature. All truth coming together and finding their culmination in Christ, the cornerstone of truth. And for a time in this world, in Paul's day, all roads led to Rome. But for all time, past, present, and future, all truths lead to Jesus Christ. And so all who wear this belt of truth, well, they know how to properly see all truth in relation to him, in relation to Christ. And so in conversation or in debate, they're able to winsomely and with ease bring that conversation to Christ and the gospel and bring truth to bear on everyone you see, this belt of truth is not just important for talking to our neighbors about Christ and defending the faith. It is important for that. 
But it's also important for talking to your own soul and speaking the truth to your own soul. What do I mean? Well, think about the central truths of God's Word that hold you up when everything else in your life is just unraveling. What keeps you afloat when your boat is taking on water? What great truths do you run to for cover when the world is shaking like an earthquake? For example, think of this, these truths. These are just two. Think about how a firm grasp of the truth of God's providence holds you up and together when tragedy befalls you and it feels like the earth is shifted under your feet. The truth that God is in control and that he is also your loving Father working all things together for your good. That truth will stabilize your soul. Think as well how a firm grasp of God's loving approval of you in Christ will hold you up and together when friends and family and the world forsakes you and utters all kinds of evil things against you. What will sustain your soul is the truth that by faith in Jesus, the Father loves you completely and perfectly. That will keep you on your feet when others are pulling you down. The truth of God's love for you. You see, the belt of truth fastened on your heart uh, will, a- will enable you to bob and weave around the punches of the world, the flesh and the devil, and also it will keep you on your feet against the own, your own condemnations of your heart. So fasten up your mind with the belt of truth. How do you do that? By studying God's Word, learning doctrine, tightening up your thinking by studying the historic creeds of the Christian faith and the Reformed confessions, which are faithful summaries of God's Word. Go on the adventure of finding out all truth and see how it's all related and held together in the person and work of Christ. Because ultimately, we are to gird up our minds with Christ, who is the truth, as he said the embodiment of truth. Jesus Christ is at the causal center of the universe, holding all things together. It's not the constellation of Orion's belt in the stars that holds the universe together. No, it's the consolation of Christ's belt of truth that holds up the universe. And that cosmic truth, holding up everything, is the same truth that holds you up, Christian. Christ is the truth made tangible, the truth that touched this earth, the very dust of the earth. He's the truth that willingly died for you. And in your doubts, he comes to you like he did with Thomas, and he says, heed the eyewitness testimonies of my disciples. They saw me with their own eyes, crucified, dead, and buried. And they saw me raised and glorified and living. They saw and believed, and so they now, by their testimony, call you to believe upon the word of their testimony. Christ points us back to his word to find truth in it, not just the problems, uh, truth or answers for the problems that we face in life, but the very truth that is at the center of all of life, Christ himself. And as he said, the truth will set you free. It'll give you that freedom to move with ease, discerning truth from falsehood, what's right from what is wrong. And the more you find truth in relation to Christ, the more you will be upheld by that belt of truth in the spiritual battle. So fasten upon your hearts the belt of truth. That's the first point. Second point, the breastplate of righteousness. Well, next Paul says we are to stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness in place. 
Now, a breastplate was used to cover and protect the chest, right, or the torso area of the body, where all the vital organs are, especially your heart. And so God has given us this breastplate of righteousness to protect our spiritual vitality, to guard our heart against the assaults of the devil. Now, what is it? Well, since these pieces of armor are God's armor, they belong to God, they come from God as a gift from Him to us, this is not a symbol of our own righteousness, no, but rather the righteousness of God, which comes to us by faith in Christ. And so the breastplate of righteousness, loved ones, is the badge of your justification, the wall of your defense against all guilt. It is your one and only plea for mercy. It is the righteousness of Christ fastened upon your heart by faith. Now, how does this work? Well, as the devil shoots his arrows, imagine arrows flying through the sky and pouring down upon you like rain. They are sharp, and they are piercing. And sometimes they get past our shield of faith that we hold up because our faith is weak at times. And sometimes they strike our chest, those arrows of accusation. Maybe Satan aimed and fired away at you in the car ride over to church this morning. Maybe you remembered a word that you misspoke to a loved one yesterday that caused harm to a person that you love. Maybe you remember the merciless and selfish thoughts that you mulled over this past week. Your ego just raging and selfishness. Or you remember the improper things that your, your heart desired, even last night. Well, perhaps one of those arrows of accusation landed and broke your skin precisely because it is a true accusation. You actually did that thing. You thought that thing. That, those words came out of your mouth. Well, how do you keep that arrowhead of guilt from piercing all the way into your heart? Well, Christian, you are to put on the breastplate of righteousness that is the very righteousness of Christ himself for you. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us our righteousness. You see, this breastplate is meant to protect your heart and spiritual vitality. And if you do not walk your days in or with the righteousness of Christ fastened upon you, you will be vulnerable to attack. Without it, you're practically like walking into the middle of a professional football game without shoulder pads on or without a helmet, with no protection whatsoever. Well, what's going to happen? The devil and his legions, his team, are going to come and tackle you and pound you into the ground, your heart, if you're not wearing the breastplate of Christ's righteousness. But know this, know this. Even if you do not fasten to your heart the breastplate of Christ and his righteousness, well, the devil might attack your vulnerable heart. But if you are in Christ, nothing, nothing he can do. He can do nothing to tarnish the perfect righteousness of Christ, which covers you. The devil's accusations and guilt, they hurt our heart. They weaken us but they cannot do anything objectively to change our status before God in Jesus. They are powerless to change the verdict that has already been declared from heaven, the verdict in the infamous case of Yahweh versus sinners elect in Christ. Despite all the indisputable forensic evidence 
against us, despite the devil's strong closing arguments, God has declared us innocent on all accounts in Him who stood for us, Jesus Christ the righteous. So in the charge of inciting and participating in the great rebellion against the King Eternal, God found us innocent in Christ. In the charge of grand theft glory of God by crafting and worshiping idols throughout our days, especially the idol of oneself, God found us innocent in Christ. In the charge of premeditated murder of the Son of God, God found us innocent in His own Son. So Christian, whatever charge right now that you are most afraid of, whatever sin you feel most guilty of right now in this moment, even in that charge, the charge of that terrible sin, God finds you innocent in Christ. Not only that, not only are you innocent because Christ took the charge and penalty of death for you, but God has also declared you righteous in Him and deserving of all honor and glory. Why? Why, why are you now deserving of all honor and glory because Christ obeyed the law of God for you and fulfilled all righteousness in your place. You see, even if you in your daily walk do not put on and fasten God's breastplate of righteousness, that pledge or badge of your justification, your heart will suffer harm, yes, but God's verdict still stands in your case. Innocent and righteous in Jesus. You were and forever will be declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 2, 16, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Look, if the verdict depended on our own ruined righteousness, our imperfect works, our lack of good works, or our guilty, evil works, well, we would stand guilty and condemned by God. But Paul is telling us that the verdict depends on the perfect, complete, unchangeable righteousness of Christ that we receive by faith alone. And so, friends, in the spiritual battle, to protect your vitality, your spiritual vitality in your heart, fasten upon you the breastplate of Christ's righteousness and stand firm in the confidence of his perfect love for you third point the sandal boots of readiness now when paul talks here about sandals uh, he is not talking about the kind of floppy beach sandals or rainbow sandals that we're most uh, accustomed to that you know the ones you have to if you want to run fast in them you got to pinch your toes in order to run so that they don't slip off your feet no uh, he's talking about durable tan leather boots that were fastened upon the feet of Roman soldiers. Uh, we call them sandals because they had open holes in them for better airflow. But they were boots. They were fastened tightly upon them. And so that's why it's better to call them sandal boots. What were they good for? Well, with these sandal boots, a soldier could run and maneuver side to side in these boots with ease. And it makes sense that, the Paul, that Paul here uses the sandal boots as a symbol of readiness, of preparedness here. What is the readiness that the gospel produces in our hearts? 
Well, Paul, he gives us a hint. Look at the text. He says it by stating that it is the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace. The readiness and preparedness that the gospel produces comes from the peace that Christ gives us in our hearts. When we allow the gospel to work peace into our hearts, that peace that surpasses all understanding, we will be ready to face the challenges and hardships and trials of the day. Whatever happens when your soul is restless and in turmoil without peace, what happens when when we have no peace and we find ourselves restless and in turmoil? It is possible to be there, to be in despair as a Christian, and to lose our sense of peace. It is possible. And that Christian who has not that peace that the gospel works into our hearts was usually not able to get through much in life without crashing and burning at every turn. The less secure you feel in the peace of God, then the less able you will be able to withstand the trials of life. And so if you want to face adversity with patience, you need the peace that only the gospel gives us. The gospel tells us that Jesus' blood has made peace with God. Not only that, he's made peace with each other among us. Peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ won this peace for us, and he seals it upon our heart now by his Holy Spirit. And so the Christian whose heart is shod in the peace of the gospel, fastened with the gospel, can sing in all times, good times and bad times, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The peace prepares us to face all challenges in life. Nothing, nothing prepares us to walk over the sharp pebbles and boulders in the road ahead of us like the sandal boots of Christ's peace fastened upon our hearts. The burdens of life, they weigh us down, don't they? And they make us limp at times, limping along our way. But the everlasting peace that God has secured for us in Christ, when we fasten that upon our hearts, we will float. We will float with joy and readiness in life. Remember what Paul said back in chapter 2. He said, Jesus Christ himself is our peace. In his body, he reconciled us to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility. The war is ended. So now through Jesus, we have peaceful confidence to approach God as Father through the Holy Spirit. Not dragging our feet in terror of meeting God. No, but running to him, swift on our feet like a child running to embrace his loving Father. That is the peace we have now with Christ Think of it in this way. At the close of World War II, March 8th, 1945, the streets of London were filled with women, men, and children celebrating. They called it VE Day, Victory in Europe. So with peace secured, well, at last the people of London could run through the streets dancing and shouting cheers of victory saying, we've won. Hitler's dead. The Nazis are done. The peace of victory made them light on their feet, ready to sing and dance and share that joy with strangers in the streets. And so, loved ones, we have peace with God. 
Christian, Jesus took the firing squad for you to end the war and hostility. That war between God's justice and your sin is over. There is nothing but peace and love between you and the Father now. And this everlasting peace should make us light on our feet. It should send us out into the streets of Ontario or wherever you're living right now, dancing with joy and sharing the good news of the gospel with other strangers in the streets, sharing it, saying Christ has won for us, death is dead and the devil is on his way out. This is the readiness that Paul is talking about, ready to sing and share the gospel with others, the readiness that the peace of the gospel gives us. How can we be ready? Because we know that Jesus has won for us, and we have peace. And if we share that gospel, that good news of the victory with others, and they are not yet ready to celebrate with us, to receive the good news, well, they're just missing out on the joy that we have in Christ. So don't let the naysayers of the gospel steal your joy in the victory. Their disbelief in the gospel does not make the gospel of Jesus any less credible. Fasten upon your hearts the gospel of peace that makes you light on your feet with joy, ready to love and serve others in the name of Jesus. We come to the close, loved ones, and I want us to consider this that these articles of armor that we're considering, they're not pieces of abstract armor that God gives us. You don't get, so to speak, a brand new copy or edition of the 40 millionth edition of the armor of God, especially for you. No. This armor, think of it in this way, this armor that God gives you is already worn in. Its metal is hammered with the pains of life. It doesn't have the bright shine of novelty, something new, but rather the dull glory of tried, true, and triumphant. This is the very armor that belonged to the great King Jesus when he rode into the battle of Golgotha, when he went into the den of darkness and slew the ancient dragon for us. This is the armor that God gives to you personally. It's not a generic armor. It is the self-same armor that Jesus wore by the Holy Spirit when he walked this earth and died upon the cross for us. This description of armor led me to the story in the Old Testament, and we'll end here, this story where the son of King Saul, Jonathan, he gave his own armor to his friend, his close friend David, who would later become King David, right? And it's found in 1 Samuel 18 verse 3 through 4 which reads this then jonathan made a covenant with david because he loved him as his own soul and jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to david and his armor and even his sword and bow and belts he gave to david why did jonathan give his armor sword and belt to david why why would he do that it's because they were best friends they shared the joys and burdens of life together with open hearts, and their souls had bonded through all of those experiences. And the text says that Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So the armor that he gave to him, each piece, was a symbol of his undying loyalty to his friend David. Jonathan was in effect saying, you have my heart's whole allegiance. 
You are my soul's dearest friend. I would gladly ride into battle for you. I would die for you, my friend. And you see, David did not only receive Jonathan's armor that day, David received the pledge of Jonathan's heart and love that he already had for him. Now, how does this story help us understand the armor of God in this way? King Jesus, the Son of God, and the rightful heir to the throne of glory, came to earth in humility. He stripped himself of his own robe of righteousness in order to give it to us, lowly sinners. And now Christ gives us his own armor and belt and sword. You see, these are not just articles of armor. These are pledges of Christ's undying love to you. Christian, Jesus is in effect saying to you with this armor that he gives you, you have my heart's allegiance. You are my soul's dearest friend. I gladly rode into battle for you. I died for you. And if I had to do it again, I'd do it again for you in love. They are pledges of Christ's love for us. Why? Why did Christ do this? Because he chose to befriend us. Among the millions of outcasts and enemies of God, he pointed his heart at you, particularly, personally, and he chose you in love. Jesus has done everything possible now to bond our souls with him, both now and forevermore. And so remember this at the close, this generic armor. No, it's not generic armor at all. This is not just God's protection for you. This is the pledge of Jesus' love for you, the love that he already proved on the cross for you when he died. He is the friend of sinners. And Christian, he is the best friend that you've ever had and you will ever have. And so fasten upon your souls the armor of your friend, your dear friend, Jesus, and stand firm in him. Amen. Let's pray. Father God,